0: Good morning. This morning's reading is from 50 Spiritual Classics and it's by Tom Butler Bowden. Jiddu Krishnamurti was born in Madras, Sinai in 1895, the son of Brahmin parents. His father worked at the Theosophical Society based in Adar. At 15, Krishnamurti was noticed by theosophists leader Annie Bassett and her associate C.W. Leadbeater for apparently having a remarkable aura. They formally adopted him and he was taken to England to be educated. Held up to be a world teacher in 1911, the Order of the Star of the East was formed around him. In 1929, Krishnamurti announced that he was no messiah or even a guru and parted company with the Protectors and the Philosophy Society. He began a life of traveling and speaking, and became known for a philosophy of independent mind and wariness of set beliefs. He died in 1985, and the Krishnamurti Foundation continues to make his writings available. One of his writings are, Rain on dry land is an extraordinary thing, is it not? It washes the leaves clean, the earth is refreshed. And I think we all ought to wash our minds completely clean as the trees are washed by the rain because they are so heavily laden with dust of many centuries, the dust of what we call knowledge, experience. If you and I would cleanse the mind every day, three out of yesterday's reminiscences, each one of us would then have a fresh mind. A mind capable of dealing with many problems of existence. And now, please join me in welcoming our speaker this morning, who has done so much with so little for so long, he is absolutely certain he can do anything starting from nothing but an idea. Please join me in welcoming our spiritual director of the largest and most delicious New Thought community in Canada, our own Reverend Patrick Cameron. <laughs>
1: Good morning. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. All right. So I'm going to invite you to uh, join me in a prayer and a song for those of you that have been here before. And we do it every week. So if you're here for the first time, this is kind of how we move into this portion of our. our celebration for we, we celebrate spirit here, and uh, so if you're ready, let's those of you that would like to stand with me as we sing. Great, if you'd like to stay seated, that's good too. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world, and in this very room. is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So I invite you to know with me, we come together this day in remembrance and acknowledgement of the one life, that life is God's life. That life is perfect. That life is my life. I claim it. I allow it to be my experience I shift whatever needs shifting I open I'm present in this moment for this is heaven now I claim heaven for myself I am heaven not a destination but an experience and so I give thanks I give thanks for the the blessings that pour themselves forth that have poured themselves forth that are in this moment and continue to reveal themselves I move with the expectancy of greater good greater insight greater balance harmony effectiveness in my own life and whatever it takes for me to achieve that and move into that I'm ready willing and able equipped with everything I need everything you need for that is truly who and what we are we are God's emissary and so in that remembrance and in that acknowledgement I know that we are shifted and changed that's all it requires is our yes our agreement as we choose it it chooses us so this day I celebrate all of that and more I give thanks for this opportunity once again to be in community with you, in intentional community with you, celebrating the music, the song, the the energetic that we all bring and share. For this I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Please be seated. Brought a picture with me today. It's one of my favorite pictures. It's a a poster that Laura and I picked up last summer in uh, Stockbridge, Massachusetts. It's one of Norman Rockwell's paintings. And it's a picture of him in the middle of all these different uh, spiritual traditions. It's called, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Have you ever heard that one before? It's fairly popular. It's called the Golden Rule. And Rockwell's there with the, he's got the kind of more colorful face right there. If you're in the back, I know it's difficult. But anyway, come on up afterwards. I'll leave it up here. You can take a peek at it. But he represents all the traditions here. And up until about the 17th century, this was really, you know, we didn't do religion like we do it now up until about 17th century. The 17th century was all about it was all about conduct. And so the golden rule was really the order of the day for many traditions. It wasn't about Muslim, Christian, Jew, all this sort of thing that we've gotten into. And that's, you know, it's been the evolution of our thinking. It's been the evolution of the the right brain thinking that is so predominant in our culture. And and none of it is wrong. It is just simply kind of observing where we are, where we where we've been, where we're going. So I've been using Daniel Pink's book. Excuse me, while I grab some reminders here. And we've been talking about a whole new mind. We have these books, in the books are wonderful books because there's wonderful, um, wonderful um, exercises within this book that help us shift from not just left brain to right brain thinking. And the right brain is is really really important. Daniel Pink talks about it. The subtitle is "Why Right Brainers Will Rule the Future." And what it takes to do that. See he talks about a few weeks ago. He talked about how important. Uh, not just IQ, because they've measured IQ now, we've we've known about it, we study it, but IQ is not as important as he says as imagination, joyfulness, and social dexterity. Imagination, joyfulness, and social dexterity are much more important than IQ. And I believe that that's, that's true. I think that the new ideas that are waiting to be given birth to, I think the reason that we do this, my purpose for being in community My purpose for my spiritual practice, I mean, I came to spiritual practice suffering. I was in a lot of pain uh, and didn't didn't ever think it was going to get, for a long time within this teaching, didn't think it was ever going to improve much, but it gave me a place to sort of be where I could be in my process. And as I worked the teaching, as I worked the principles, as I worked the, the classes, and I, I, I hung out with people that stretched me in consciousness, things started to shift and change. I, started, I saw people starting to live their lives in a, in a more peaceful way, in a more creative way, in a more joyful way. And I wanted the joy. I wanted the happiness. It was very self-serving. I was very, very selfish about my approach to this. And then as I deepened in it, as I've gone further down the line with it, I realized that you know, so much of that, what was important to me 15, 20 years ago, is, has diminished, and there are other things that are important to me. So when I say, why do we do this? And, and for all of us, to grow through those, those stages of our own consciousness and evolution is very important, because we need to be able to demonstrate. We need to be able to be self-sufficient. It's just part of being on this planet. We're here to master that, but that's not the end destination. Just to, to demonstrate stuff is, is great, but if that's the final destination, you're missing a whole kit and caboodle of good stuff on the other side. And it's it's not about simply basking in this the sense of oneness either. It's taking the oneness and transformation into our lives, into the world. So it's and, and it's endless, it never stops. It never stop. We never have that. We never stop with the opportunity to grow and to, to deepen. That's been my experience. So as I go along, I can't wait till it turn, how, to see how it turns out, because mine is a you know the, this this journey of 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 growth and and uh, opportunity. And as I continue to shift and change, the, my experiences shift and change. So there are these three nuns, and they're walking along together, and they're on this very, very treacherous path, and they, they sense someone's um, tracking them, and they get, they're nervous because this is an area in the, where the, there's been a, this notorious um, bad guy that's done bad things over the years, and they, they sense this guy's on their tail, and they're walking along, and the three sisters don't know what to do, so one sister says the other, they come to... A, the, some forks in the road, and, and says, Sisters, you know what? It might be better if we split up. You go left, you go right, and I'll go up the center. And we'll, you know, at least we'll, we'll split up. So if this bad guy catches us, it won't be all three of us. So they all take off, and, and the two of the nuns, the ones that went left and right, arrive at the destination, and they wait about an hour and a half, two hours, and the third nun finally shows up, and they said, Sister, what happened? Because did, did we're, we're fine, but did he catch you? And he, she said, Yeah, he caught up with me. And uh, so What happened? Well, she said, He was just an awful man, and he wanted to do something terrible, so I said, okay, okay, I'm not going to fight you. I said, I'll pull my skirt up, and you pull your pants down. And, she said, and then they said, well, what happened? And she said, well, ladies, you know that a woman with her skirt up can run much faster than a man with her pants down. <laughs> it's right brain thinking, maybe. But what they know with, with this idea, that one of the interesting things about right brain and and, uh, and left brain, they have found in studies, is that the creative and talented girls on the planet are more they're more dominant and tough. Do you know any dominant and tough women? And the creative boys are less aggressive than their male counterparts. There's an androgynous quality to it, that they they sort of they sort of can live in both camps. So it's very interesting to watch the evolution of consciousness. And it's, it's, it's what we're being called to do, and it's what we're being called to explore. We live in a, in a tremendously exciting time, to say the least. As the Chinese say, may you live in exciting times. But isn't it interesting to observe how consciousness is shifting and what moves us forward or not, and how we can stay stuck in, in uh, certain ways of being. Dr. Holmes talks about it in his ideas of power, what's happening. Now, he wrote this back in the late 50s. And he says, there's an intelligence that responds to us. But everything we think is some kind of prayer. Everything we think is some kind of prayer. Whatever it is. What's happened for me is that I, I, you know, Laura and I talked about this the other day. We used to go to the Asilomar conferences as new initiates into this teaching. And Asilomar is a rarefied atmosphere. You spend a week in in people that have been doing this work at the level of consciousness for years and years and years. And it's transformational consciousness. It's not transcendent. Transcendent is the idea of having, you know, this, this direct experience with the One. Transformational is, is that and more. It's about taking that experience and applying it in your lives, because you may have a direct experience with God, and you still may show up and be a schmuck on Monday morning. You know what I mean? It doesn't guarantee anything. It's just it's it's an experience, and it's a wonderful experience. I have that experience when I hear the music. We're talking today about symphony, transformation through symphony, through music. You cannot listen to music. You can't be you can't be, cannot be immersed in the music completely, listening to the words and, the, and one or two instruments and think about the past or the future. That's why we do so much music here. It's our way of bringing you to the present moment. I'll talk about that in a little bit because Dr. Holmes has some beautiful things to say about that. But he said it doesn't do any good to say, well, I'm going to sit down and meditate. But unless we do it, in the process of doing it, we change our thought. There's no use sitting down for ten minutes and saying I am surrounded by prosperity and everything I do shall prosper, and the rest of the twenty-four hours saying nothing is any good. These are the moments when we center our thinking and we learn to accept. We can't do that in the left side. It's a right-brained experience. And that's why it takes. He said the art of spiritual mind treatment. It takes. It, it becomes an art over time. So now when I do an affirmative prayer with someone, I don't know what I don't plan the words. The words show up. Well, I stand up here and, you know, and, and address you each Sunday. I don't sit back there memorizing words of a spiritual mind treatment. It's a spontaneous experience for me because what's alive for me is what's alive. And so I, I trust in that and I speak from that. First of all, remember there's a power greater than we are which reacts, a principle that responds. It has now been proven not only in religious experience, in modern metaphysical movements such as ours, they're built upon this and we are built upon this. This is why you are here because something new is happening in the world and this is it. So, so collectively, we are, the, we are the new cathedral. And the collective consciousness, all of us participating in this, it lifts all of us and we, we lift one another and we give birth to the new idea, the new possibility. And so the old ways of being, one of the things that I've observed throughout my spiritual journey is many times people will say, you know, if I just do the one thing, I want the magic bullet. I want the one thing to do. What's the one thing I can do to guarantee that I'm going to, you know, as a, as a young boy, I was live a good life and you'll get to heaven? What's the one thing? What's the magic bullet? Last week we were at the conference. I spoke about it a bit last week about ionized water. Lady was there with the ionized water. Ionized water is gonna take care of everything. Just drink the water. I thought, wouldn't that be great if it was just about the water? But I know for myself, for my physical form, it's about it's about rest, it's about, you know, good sleeping pattern, it's about good nutrition, it's about the right amount of exercise, it's about the right mental attitude. I mean, there are many factors. It's a mosaic. It isn't one. And, and i not and I have nothing against ionized water. I'm, you know, I'm still looking at it, thinking, well, maybe that's a good thing to drink. I don't know. She had me drink like ten gallons of it one day when I was there. And the next day, would you? I couldn't leave the hotel room because if I got more than twenty feet away from the commode, I was in trouble. And so I went back to tell her, and she said, fantastic. I said, what do you mean, fantastic? I've been in my room for twenty-four hours. She said, well, it's working. Purging. I said, oh, okay. Could it just be that I drank too much water and my system's, <laughs> you know? But I mean, isn't it neat the stories people make up? I, you know, I, but anyway, because she told me, you don't really drink that water. That water is absorbed before it reaches your stomach. I thought, what a great idea. She said, yeah, I'll just keep drinking it and chug-a-lug, chug-a-lug. The next day, I think some of it did reach my stomach. <laughs> he has this to say. He said that this power responds creatively to us. It can't help it, and apparently it responds mathematically. It doesn't look like math in our lives, but it does respond. It can do nothing but respond. And the whole universe seems to operate mathematically because it is the cosmos. It is intelligent. And therefore, we personally and individually should be able to decide what the response is going to be. That is the next thing we have to establish. Sometimes people say to me, I read a great a triad in a magazine lately where people were more orthodox than, than us said that it's a shame the way we think in coming to our movement. And he says this, we believe heaven is now. I mean, if you want the difference between us and, and maybe more conventional things, we believed and I believe heaven is now. That God is now. There will never be a day in eternity, eternity better than the day in which you and I are living. Or any different. It's now. It's today. So how's your experience of heaven today? Good? Not so good? Got a great? Maybe somebody in the back's not having a great experience of heaven. But it's today. You'll never be any closer to spirit in this form, in this moment, than you will be. This idea, you know, it's, it's now. It is a continuity, as he says. Without criticizing others, let us say that what we, they hope to get later, we would like to have now and keep it later. We do not wish to deny others the privilege of entering into heaven someday and enjoying these things which now they do not have. I merely say we believe it ought to be possible to have them now and to keep them. And there is nothing wrong with it. But see, what would happen for people if they have to give up that idea? How would they live their lives? I've had people tell me, too much freedom, man. You guys, way too much freedom. i got to be earning. I've got to be earning. Why couldn't we just be living from that Christ consciousness? See, what I've noticed in, in, in people that become, as I said about fundamentals, fundamentalists, or fundamental a couple of weeks ago, they take all the fun out of being mental, if you know what I mean. They're fundamental. <laughs>
0: it,
1: but it, but it, should be, it should be a joyful experience. Daniel Pink's talking about imagination, joyfulness, social dexterity. And when we're living from that, when we're, when we're living from our true selves and having that experience and expressing it in our work and in, in the things that we do, then... You know, life looks totally different for us. Christian Murdy, the rating today from Christian Murdy. Christian Murdy was one of the first people, Marcia Cintar has a book called Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. Christian Murdy was the first one that said that back in the early 1900s. Find what's your passion, find is what's your gift, and then give that gift to the world. And wherever it is, whatever you're doing, it becomes the gift, becomes the, the possibility. What, uh, this week, Jody and John, are Jody and John here today? Still here? They take off wherever she went, Jody Gotel's doing our volunteer coordinating, and, and she realized, she was down in the nursery, and she realized the other day that, uh, she said, man, you lived there for six months? I said, yeah, I did. She said, it's spooky down there. <laughs> What's spooky? I said, they were little, I got rid of the mice, they were running around all over the place when I got here, I wake up in the middle of the night, and there'd be a little mouse under my foot, and we got rid of them. We, we shooed them out, the building. But, but I told her, I said, you know, the amazing thing about that, you know, when I moved here, I didn't know too many people. It was an interesting thing, because someone said to me, he said, when you go to that center and you're new there, watch who pulls you the closest when you first get there. I said, hmm, never even thought of that. And I said, because those will be the ones that won't be there in a year. The ones that really want to pull you close, they'll disappear. That's interesting. Hm. I, and I didn't think much about it. Sure enough, when I got here, there were certain people who really wanted to be in close relationship. We best pals when I got here. And most of them aren't around anymore. I think, Isn't that interesting? But what happens is the dynamic of that relationship, and it's, it was great learning for me. People, people, because if they're close to me, they have influence. And once they realize that I had my own, <laughs> had my own issues, and they weren't theirs, you know, I had my own learning to do, and it wasn't, I wasn't looking for that kind of support, then, then it, there wasn't a place for us to land because their, their need to kind of steer and control. And, and the, the, ones that, the other ones around me let me have my own experience. Even if there were people that I should have known about long before I got here. They said, no, he'll have his own experience with it. They held, me to, they held me capable. And that was a beautiful thing. They gave me freedom to make mistakes, you know, to, to screw up on my own instead of you know, planning it with them. <laughs> but it's a good thing. Anyway, I was talking to Jody about it. I said, you know, I remember that. Because she said, what did you do at night? I said, well, I read a lot, but I read a lot. And I would talk to Laura. She was not here yet, so I was living. She was selling the house in California and living in the nursery. You've got to check out the nursery sometimes. It'll, it'll be a shrine one day as I tell this story. <laughs> But anyway, I used to go down to the video store down there on 90th and, uh, I think it's 98th and and 75th Street, and I just worked my way through the alphabet. I had a TV and a VCR, they both made a lot of noise, the TV was from like 1947, and the the VCR was from 1977, and I just went to, I'd go to the A's, and I'd pull off three movies that looked pretty interesting, you know, we want to watch something, and next week I'd go back and I'd I'd work my way through the A's, and by the time Laura got here, we sold the house, and we were ready to move into a house, I was probably up to, to G. But the guy said to me, you're just working your way through, the guy at the counter at the uh, video play said, you're just working your way through the alphabet, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm up to G now. So, I mean, it was just my method. I never, I never forgot that. Uh, and uh, when Jody mentioned that about the nursery, but she said, it's just so spooky down there. I said, well, that's the story you tell yourself. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of life around us that we don't see. There are a lot of things that, there's drafts, there's who knows, you know, what's going on. But I said, you know, it never occurred to me it was spooky. I was so excited about the adventure. It was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I'm living in the church. You know, you couldn't have gotten me into a church 20 years ago, and now I'm living in one. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, and it was exciting. And people kept showing up with all kinds of stories and ways we should do it and this and that. I thought, wow, fantastic. Some were good ideas. Some we grabbed. Some we threw away. Whatever it was. But you just have to be clear about where you want your life to go and what do you stand for. Because if you try and accommodate everybody, it's, a, it's just a mess. You can't do all that. You have to really take a stand in your lives. really ground yourself in what you know to be true for yourself and sometimes we don't know what that is sometimes we don't know what our heart is calling us to do so the important thing is I think through spiritual practice as I mentioned when you come back from a Sillamar and there would be this we'd go to this thing where there was this, this level of consciousness it was incredible you'd float on it for a week amazing speakers amazing workshops just the energetic of the people and then we would leave and there's this deep depression oh I got to go back to the real world. I got to go out and hang out with all those people. Those people I work with, the people that are my brothers and sisters, the people that are married to me, that I'm married to, and this, you know, all that stuff. It doesn't happen anymore. And it's interesting because you, you can miss that if you're not paying attention. You go, wow, I don't have that experience anymore. Life's pretty sweet, wherever it is, whatever's happening. As I mentioned last week, if you weren't here, my son Davis decided that we needed a new car while we were gone, and he ran ours into a tree. <laughs> and so it's been, a, it's been a real learning for Laura and I, for me. I can't, you can talk to her, but it's been a real learning curve for me because I've been to five, I said six at the first service, but actually five car dealerships in the last week. And if you want to apply spiritual practice in your life, go in and talk to a car salesman for 45 minutes. <laughs> and it's very interesting because they all have gone to the same training. They all want to get you to Yes get that, you know, get the buyer to yes, and so, you know, going in, they say, so what can we do, you know, you drive the car, and, and for us, Laura's, because of her stature, it's important, that it fits well for her, and some cars are too big, so we go in, and, you know, sometimes, like, nope, not this, so thanks, we're just checking it out, but some of them, it's a good fit, and yet, we're still not certain what we're going to do, we may not buy a car, we may, you know, buy a, a city bus, and I could drive it during the week, make a few extra bucks, and whatever will reveal itself, and we'll know that. We know that the the highest and best thing will happen. But the point being is that they'd say, you know, are you ready? Can we do a deal today? And I'd say, well, I'm a definite maybe. I'm a definite maybe. But they want the yes. And even a couple times we gave them the yes. And I'd say, no, we're not going to do that. And then they'd get kind of snarky. And I thought, gee, I thought we were developing a bond here, a relationship, something of depth and value. You just want to sell me a product. I get this. But the point is, with, with all that, is that, you know, years ago, I probably would have fallen into that and said, oh, gee whiz, you know, I told this guy, I made a commitment to him, he realize, you know what, this is about us. It's isn't about a salesman. This isn't about buying a product and disappointing a salesman. It's like, you know what, no. Uh-uh, not right now. Let me make my mind up, and when I'm ready to do it, I'll come back where I won't. I mean, isn't that life? But, I mean, isn't that living life in freedom? And it's just a microcosm of how I lived most of my life trying to please everybody and fit into what everybody, I thought everybody wanted from me. And I would do it, and I'd do it with strangers. I mean, the insanity of that. You do it with strangers, trying to please them. People that you will never see again in your life. But they'll feel good about you because they made this, whatever it is. But it's very interesting to watch the dynamic of that with salespeople. Because they're aggressive, and you know, they're friendly, and, and it's just a very interesting thing. And if you're a car salesman, God bless you. What practice, what a great, what a great uh, opportunity you uh, present for people for, for clarity. But it's really about standing in your own, your own decision-making. It's right when you decide it's right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. A couple of guys in black suits just came in. I thought maybe they're coming to take me away. <laughs> I don't know who they are. So Daniel Pink talks about there's three. The imagination, joyfulness, and social dexterity. And I love social dexterity because I watch it all the time. Watch what people say to you. Watch what you're saying to people. Social dexterity is really, really important. And joyful. It should be joyful, whatever you're doing. You know, You know. every time we go into a car dealership, I said, hey, this is our fourth one. And then the, car, the salesman would always say, yeah, but it's your last one. I said, well, good for you, man. You're an optimist. I like that. And as we leave, I say, I guess it wasn't our last one. He talks about boundary crossers. There's boundary crossers, there's the eventer, and there's the, the metaphor of the, or the, journey, or the, um, the big picture. The boundary crossers are those that can synthesize. It's not about analysis, it's about putting things together. It's about spiritual community. How do we do this well? Let's build a labyrinth. Let's have great music. Let's have a wonderful message that has some meaning and impact in your life. Let's have great classes. It's not one thing. It's not bringing you in and saying, just drink the water. But I can hook you up with some water if you'd like. I can, I can become a distributor. Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? I can sell that, that product. I am so darn excited about that. I can't wait to see how that comes out. We're going to make that contingent upon membership here. Everybody buys a $2,000 water machine. So I said to her, I said, you know, it's 5 bucks for the week. I got to tell you, great, big, great, big jug of water. You can come back all week and fill it up. $5, and you get the plastic jug with it, and then you're, you're good for the week. And then I looked at her, and I said, well, how much is the machine? 2095 U.S., so whatever that is for us. I said, wow, so this $5 jug of water is going to turn into a $2,095 purchase for me eventually. Is that what you're telling me? And she just smiled. Of course. And I can become a distributor. So as I say, I'm, I'm excited. I'm not that excited anymore. The inventor. so the boundary crosser synthesizes, puts things together, big picture, how do we do that? When Brown does an arrangement for us with music, he doesn't just have the drums going. He's got, all of a sudden, he knows when to bring in the guitar, he knows when to bring in the vocalist, he knows when the keyboards need to come in. All that stuff is part of that. That is that vision that the conductor has. And all of us have that possibility, that, that capability. And there's the inventor, you know the old commercial where the guy's eating the chocolate and the other guy's eating the peanut butter and they were banging each other and then all of a sudden the guy says, hey, you got chocolate on my peanut butter. And yeah, and you got peanut butter on my chocolate. And it's all about the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. But that's that's that idea of invention. Invention is just simply taking what's known and reorganizing it. As the myth would have it in my own family, my uncle Jack, and I don't know if this is true or not, but if you have information, let me know. He owned a plumbing supply house in Iowa. And he invented an early prototype of the rotor rooter So when a rotor rooter man is running around town, I see the truck, I always think of my Uncle Jack. Could be true, I don't know, because my family's had a tendency to make stuff up over the years. <laughs> but Jack did retire to Las Vegas when he was about 40 years old, so I think he did something that, that uh, allowed him to do that. But he was looking at what was already av- available. You know, the, the rotary drill was available, the snake was available. Hmm, why don't we automate this thing? The metaphor, I love this, is your life a treadmill? Or a journey. How many for treadmill? Ah, no treadmills here today. But journey. But it's how we. It's the story we tell ourselves. Because even if it happened, even if it was true, and it happened ten years ago, ten minutes ago, ten months ago, whatever it is, now it's a story. And so we get to reframe that story. You know, when Jody came up to me and said oh, it was so spooky down there, and it never occurred to me it was spooky. I was excited. I thought this was kind of cool. There's all kinds of neat noise. When you're here alone, you should hear the noises in this place. But I, you know, I just, I don't do ghosts. I mean, I know there's disembodied spirits and I know there's stuff, but you know what? I'm, who knows? I, I can't, I got enough stuff going on with the stuff I can see. You know what I mean? Keeping track of that. I, I just find that a distraction. It's really, and also, big picture. Big picture is very important. He talks about that. He said, The self-made millionaires. You know what self-made millionaires have in common four times more than other people? Any guess? Ah, you haven't read the book. You'd have to go halfway through the book for that one. Self-made millionaires are four times more likely to be dyslexic. Yeah, there we go. You go, girl. You are four times more likely to be a self-made millionaire. Richard Branson is one. Charles Schwab is another. And both of these guys cite their dyslexia as the secret to their success, because they see things differently. So if you want to look at how to see things differently, he's got all kinds of neat exercises in the back here. I, I, there's one of them I just absolutely love. I shared at the first service, and I'll here we go. Symphony. Chapter and symphony. If you go to the back, there's all these exercises. Celebrate your amateurness. Do you celebrate your amateurness, the stuff you're no good at, but you try anyway? You should see me out on a golf course. Oh man is that a celebration (laughs) sometimes I'll play three different fairways on the same hole (laughs) coming through guys will look at me and say where are you going (laughs) over there why can't I play from here it says I am best at what I can't do there's an affirmation for you how many of you are treated like I am the best at what I can't do it has become my ability to feel strong and confident in these situations. I feel free to move, to listen to my heart, to learn, to act, even if that means I will make mistakes. You want a, you, if you want a creative life, do what you can't and experience the beauty of the mistakes you make. Just a willingness to risk, to move out. You don't know how bad you can be at certain things yet until, until you try, and then celebrate it. You know what I mean? There's a great thing in this book on page 129. Daniel Pink goes to study with the woman's son who wrote writing from the left side of the brain. There's a sketch on page 129 that looks like he was in second grade when, or grade two when he did it. And on page 145, a week later, he's done a pretty good self-portrait. But he talks about how, and, and so the teacher would walk around the room and he would just simply say, I'm just trying to keep your left brain out of this. I'm just trying to keep your left brain out of it because you can't draw from the left side of the brain. You can draw from the right side of the brain. And so we, we carry it with us anyway. Why not use it? You know, it's a beautiful gift. The right side of the brain, the creativity, the possibility, the imagination, the joyfulness. To move forward, I mean, people may think you're loony, but to move forward with this great expectancy of great good and the new idea, to give birth to the new consciousness. Those are not those are not strange ideas. Those are opportunities. Wonderful opportunities because we know what the givens are. We know what has come before us. It's that opportunity to move into that, that new experience of life so our stories how do we reframe those stories the whole victoria castle thing the soma where do you hold that i mean i i was driving up here this morning and my shoulders were so tight from yesterday going and driving cars the discussion i realized i'm just hanging on to this story now on my shoulders so i just spent time relaxing i said oh just let it go man that was yesterday and that was a beautiful opportunity because it's just, there's a lot of energy that goes out. You're processing and processing and processing. And you're, you're, you're taking care of yourself. It's just very interesting. But I realized, man, I'm just, I'm pretty tight. Do you want to be tight all day long? Because that's your choice. I said, no. So what's going on here? So physically, where do we carry those things? So it's, it's, I just, I, I think it's such a wonderful, powerful thing to have in our lives. We have this opportunity that heaven is now, that heaven is today. That we can be heaven. Jim Carrey said that on Oprah one time, and I loved it. He said, you know, what's your attitude? What's your philosophy of life? He says, I'm heaven. I live in heaven. He lives in that joy. He lives in the freedom. I mean, watch that guy. You know, he's just—he's so free in his creativity and his opportunity. Not, not that we can all be that way in the world, because we're not Jim Carrey, but we can certainly be that way in our hearts and look at it and go, wow, here's another opportunity. Look at this. You know, look at this. For us, you know, coming back and finding our car that had a dent fender no longer drivable, You know, it was disappointing. It was disappointing. It was a surprise. But life's full of surprises, is it not? And so then we get a chance to move through that and process through that and have the conversation, figure out, hmm, what's going on here? What wants to happen? And so we're still in that. But to look forward to it, and know, like Laura and I finally realized, you know, whatever works, it's all going to work out. It always does. Life always, always is asking for a bigger idea, for a bigger expression of life. But it's real easy to get into the details of it and start blaming and shaming. And, I, and, and that serves no one it, it also doesn't mean that there's not consequence you have an intelligent discussion about it you don't just ignore it and not say anything that's just spiritual bypass this is a great opportunity something wants to happen here so I use that as an example because I think it's important moving into the basement here it never occurred to me it was spooky or scary I thought, this is great, this is exciting how many people get an opportunity to live in a church for six months take over, take over a, a, a community that w- was looking for something new and then whatever wanted to happen, my, my prayer, and it still is to this day, whatever I must become in order to do a job that I'm being called to do or, or to serve in a way that I'm being called to serve, please reveal that to me. So all of it, I look at all of it, comes along to coach me and to nurture me into a bigger idea and to put down the old ideas of myself that don't serve me in that, in that purpose. And part of the spiritual practice is that discernment. But it's all perfect wherever we are. Dr. Holmes was never into that let's judge ourselves harshly because we, we think a certain way or we're not able to demonstrate it at a certain level. He said, no, you just haven't done it right. So shift it around and do better. I so I'm going to do better. So I told Laura, I said, this whole car thing, I wish I'd done it better because I was frustrated at times, I was disappointed at times, I was all over the map. She said, I don't know where you're going. You're just... And I said, you're right, I'm confused right now. So to settle down and have the experience with it and say, you know what, today I'll do better with it. I mean, what else are you going to do? You bring, you know, we all have our stuff. We bring the best of ourselves to whatever's going on." But, but for me, I don't want to stay stuck in that, that spin. I want to move effectively and productively in a direction that I think benefits everyone, not just me. And so, and, I, and I know you're capable of that. And we are all capable of that. To, to, to live in this genius, all of this is articulated by Daniel Pink. We can all learn to draw from the right side of the brain. We can all learn to tap into that creativity, that possibility. I love what he said at the beginning of this book. He said the, the value of a, of a country or a community or an environment is contingent upon the amount of artists that are in the room. And I see the artistry in the room. I see it through our music. We're drawn to the artistry. When we we hear the music coming from our beautiful musicians, we duplicate it in our hearts. That's what great acting is. See, the thing that we love about great actors is they're playing out what we know to be true in our hearts. So we duplicate it. I learned at an acting class. You've got to let people duplicate what you're having the experience with. So if you're up there really confused, nobody can, nobody can identify with it. And that's what great artists do. They draw us in, and then we become part of the, of the creation. It's beautiful. It's so simple when we understand it. And that's what we're being called to do. We're being called to, to lift our consciousness, to raise it, to put down the things that restrict that flow of life by means of us and step into that genius that is seeking expression. So heaven is now. And you are heaven. And so it is. we bringing martin up sure. sweet we're going to bring martin back up to do a song for us today he's probably he fell asleep at the first service listening to me so i <laughs> i knew he was pretty captivated <laughs> joyfulness imagination joyfulness and social dexterity pardon me oh I want to share a quick practice with you. That get, that, for me, for right brain is to stop thinking. Can I do this real quick while we bring Martin up? So what I'll do... You know what? Come on up here with your guitar and play with this. This would be perfect. Perfect timing. So what I'll do is I'll usually take my thumb and my pointer finger and my index finger and I'll rub them together. When I want to stop thinking. And then I'll just track my breathing. I'll feel the breathing going in and out. So if you really feel the fingers and track the breathing... Now, I don't close my eyes when I'm driving. I wouldn't recommend it. But you cannot think about the past or think about the future while you're doing that. And it moves you into spaciousness. So I found little practices throughout my day when I just want to stop the thinking because, man, I, could, I can get a hold of it. I'm like a bulldog with an idea. I can turn it over and over and over again. And I know what, what stops me for that is that, that simple practice. And it's a physicality. It's called cognitive shifting and it's a, that realignment, and it's a meditation practice that's described in Seven Masters, Seven Paths, that Sue Stevens teaches. So if we listen to Martin, would you, would you just doodle on your guitar? So if you listen to Martin's playing, you can do it with music, and just track your breathing, you're in present moment. You're in present moment. And what happens is the level of thinking is, and this is what Einstein was talking about, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. There's a genius that lives within every one of us, and to access it, it means to be quiet and listen. So I tell you, last week I was talking about how I need Saturday night to not be in this, the, the, the worldly conversation. A lot of it is spent not thinking. It's just listening. And I'll start to run with an idea, and I'll go, oh, you know, that's a good idea, and I'll write it down, and then I'm done with it. i leave it alone. And I I start to pull it up again. I just go back to the practice because I need that quiet. We were walking in the river valley yesterday and Laura, she said something to me. I said, I'm sorry, I was gone. I was in that space of, of present moment so I, I couldn't hear the words she said and so we, we picked up the conversation. But there are times when I'm moving the, the, and more and more the thinking stops for me and it's just a beautiful place to be. There's a wonderful story here I want to share with you that, that I, I actually Googled between services. Didn't use this at the first service but don't tell them if you see them. There's a fellow by Stefan Sagmeister, and he said that the first 25 years of life are le- devoted to learning. The second 40 are or so to working, and the final 25 to retirement. So he said, why not cut five years off of retire- retirement and then intersperse them into your working years? So every seven years, Sagmeister closes his design shop, tells his clients he won't be back for a year, and then he goes off on a 365-day sabbatical. It sounds costly, I know, but he says the idea he comes up with during the year off are often what provides the income for the next seven years. And he says, he says, it's cool if I can, this guy says, it's cool if I can swing it. I'd like to give it a try, but I'm not going to change the name. I'm going to change the name from going on sabbatical to taking a sagmeister. But isn't that an interesting idea? I'm thinking that's a pretty cool idea. I'm, I'm coming up the end of my seventh year here. I like that idea. All right.